But it's great to be with you. As Kevin said, my name is Todd and my wife Becca here. Uh, We recently moved down from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania this summer to pick up the ball of planting Restoration Anglican Church in Stanton, Virginia. So we've been in the valley here for about six months. It's a lovely, lovely place to be. We're grateful to be here, grateful to be in partnership with you all at Church of the Lamb, uh, in our deanery, in our diocese. Uh, That has been Actually, for Beck and I, one of the big draws for us to, to come down here, to be a part of this, uh, that we really um, admired, appreciated uh, the work that we were doing in the deanery, and we really want to be a part of it. And so it's really a joy to be a part of what you guys are doing here, to be in fellowship with you in that way. Uh, we are uh, at Restoration. We meet at 4 p.m. on a Sunday, so you might be like, this new guy's skipping out on his church already. No, I will do I will go there this afternoon. Uh, Four o'clock, we meet in downtown Stanton. Uh, We share a facility with uh, Faith Lutheran. That's been a really joyful uh, partnership for us with them. And we are in the season of vision and training. So we're kind of replanting, relaunching ourselves and uh, orienting ourselves on, you know, what it is that God has called us to be and do in Stanton, Virginia. So that's kind of where we're at. And that's sort of my brief update for you all as you continue to pray for restoration Continue to pray for God's outpouring of his Holy Spirit on, of us, on us. Uh, we, we really have a really dear group of people. And um, Beck and I talk about that a lot and how we just feel loved by our people. And we feel like we won the lottery in a lot of ways. And so your prayers are effective. Keep praying. We need them. Uh, but it's, it's a joy to be here with you this morning to share God's word uh, to be in the open air with you all. This place, uh, sorry, I'm, I need to adjust in my own conscious stream here, but it is, I have dreamed about this place. I, you know, you read it on the internet and you're like, what, what is that like? And now I know what it's like. Yeah, it's like a beanie and it's, it's a little chilly on a December 3rd happy Advent morning, but it is lovely to be here. It is, it is a magical spot, so... Uh, I'm going to be preaching out of Philippians 2 for us this morning, so if you have your Bible with you, you want to turn there. We're going to be uh, digging in, kind of focusing on verses 1 to 4 that we uh, read this morning. Uh, and in this text uh, from Philippians, the Apostle Paul uh, who wrote this letter to this church in Philippi. He's sort of in the heart of the letter, um, and he's, he's talking about his primary concern, the meat of the letter. And he wants them to have an enduring, vibrant witness to the glory of Christ. It's kind of the sort of meat of this letter. And he's addressing two relational concerning dynamics or possible concerns in the church. That of outside pressure and that of possible internal corruption. So he's addressing outside pressure and possible internal corruption for this community. And what becomes clear as you chew on this text and as we consider the history of the church even is that while outside pressures are very concerning and legitimate, it is the life of the church itself that's meant to give it its resiliency and authenticity of witness in the world. So the fellowship of believers is meant to be a different kind of culture, an alternative citizenship with a fundamentally different kind of ethic that's based in a very different story. The greatest opportunity of witnessing to King Jesus is not simply how 
shiny or bright or sparkly a church may be in its talent or skill set, but how authentically servant-hearted we are with one another. Because if the church does not take on a unified posture and attitude of servanthood, it both ruins the church and its witness into the community. And I wish that it was more difficult to think of examples. So to put this in the context of Advent, uh, what gives us resiliency and authenticity and our witness to King Jesus as we wait for his return is to act like King Jesus in his humble servanthood. Servanthood is the way we stay awake. It is how we act while we wait for the king to return. It's what he demonstrated in his first coming, and it is what he will bless in his second coming as he blesses those who are eagerly waiting for him through lives of servanthood. My wife, Beck, and I uh, both went to Virginia Tech. I don't know. It depends on which side of the valley you, you announce such things. Or I guess we're closer to JMU now, so I don't know. Uh, but this is a little bit of a homecoming for us to be moving to Virginia. Um, and I worked at a Christian camp in Rockbridge County for a couple summers. And the summer after my sophomore year, I was uh, interning with this camp and guest services. And anyone who's worked at a camp in the summer knows that the first couple weeks are, like before campers get there, there's a lot of prep, there's a lot of maintenance, cleanup, and setup. In a lot of ways, it's like the best part of the summer because it's like you and your friends doing all the fun jobs around town. And so myself and this other intern were helping our guest services coordinator put in really nice new outdoor basketball goals. These are like gorilla goals, full glass, backboard, adjustable, meant to withstand the beating of hundreds of high school students having dunk contests on them summer after summer after summer. And so... uh, My boss, Peter, he was very excited about these goals. He'd been talking them up for a while. Um, And the morning after we had poured the concrete and we were setting the foundations for the goals in the concrete, the other intern was going through the box and a bunch of rebar fell out. And he's like, hey, Peter, what's all this rebar for? (laughs) And Peter goes, gorilla. He starts stringing together phrases that are not appropriate for an environment like this slamming the rebar down around. It was one of the more memorable, funny aspects of my summer that year. Uh, He had forgotten to put the rebar in the concrete to reinforce it. And he knew that the kind of strain and pressure and stress those goals were going to be under, that he had just ruined some really expensive recreational equipment, or at least set it up for an early failure. And this is what the Apostle Paul is trying to address in our passage today. Paul knows that if the church is going to witness to the glory of King Jesus, if people are going to learn to find ultimate joy through this community, then that community has to be able to withstand the stress of that witness. It needs a rebar-reinforced unity And that rebar is humble servanthood. 
this is the all-consuming ethic of the church. This is how the king serves in his kingdom. This is what the kingdom is all about. And verses 1 to 4 that we're walking through this morning uh, give us a kind of very simple three-part breakdown to what this looks like. It gives us the root, it gives us the branch, and it gives us the fruit. Some illustrations around here. It's pretty nice. Uh, So the root of our endurance and our witness of servanthood is our union to Christ, our consolations of the gospel. The branch, the avenue, the means is this mindset, this posture of servanthood. And then the fruit is the, are the things that we say no to and the things we say yes to in putting on the life of Christ. So root, branch, fruit. That's what we're going to be walking through. Uh, first and most essentially then, our unified witness, the way that we stay awake, the way that we ultimately serve and are sustained in that service is through our enjoyment of our union with Christ. This is verse 1. If there's any affection, sympathy, brotherly love, participation in the Spirit, this is why we announce the encouragement and comfort of the gospel week in and week out in our gathered worship. This is why we come to the table of remembrance and participation through the bread and wine. This is why we set apart our lives in prayer and learning to feed and fuel the endurance of our servanthood as we're comforted by Jesus as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, as we remember the gospel again and again and again and again of how Christ has served us and the Spirit comes and serves us now. Uh, In his second letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul uh, says to the church, our hearts are wide open to you. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Widen your heart's also. And the invitation this text in the beginning of Advent in our waiting is to widen our hearts. And Paul isn't just asking that of us in Philippians or of the church in Philippi. He is actively provoking them to widen their hearts. He's breathing life onto the coals of their faith to bring about fresh fire for obedience You have comfort, right? You're experiencing the love of God. He's trying to hold out to them all the jewels and gems of the gospel so that they'll be encouraged and strengthened and inspired to live out the gospel ethic. He's trying to show them and remind them that all of the love of God is already theirs for all eternity. That Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is completely inclined towards them in love at all times. The Father in his affections, the Son in his servanthood, and the Spirit in his outpouring into their lives. And so if we're going to serve, if we're going to walk in the humble servanthood of Christ, then we need to be experiencing the comfort of Christ. And if we're not, then the invitation is to be a bit curious. What's going on? Why is that comfort not there? Where is the life of the Spirit? This is why we need good counselors. This is why we need pastors. This is why we need friends who listen to us and pray for us. We need to be curious about that. You know, the Christian life is not a mountaintop experience after mountaintop experience. 
It is walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but it is walking through that valley with our shepherd king whose presence sustains us and refreshes us and strengthens us to walk with him. And so we need that renewal in our affections, in the affections of God daily. So that's the roots of our servanthood. And those roots have branches. They grow out into our life. We have a means through which that living water flows out into the church, into the world. And that means is the life of our mind, actually. And here, Paul's not talking about just cerebral thinking. He's talking about an attitude, posture, a whole framework and attitude of being towards the world. Uh, This is what he says in verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul's piling up some phrases as he does there. He's trying to highlight the importance of this, of the singularity of focus that's going on here. That with the strength of our union with Christ, we then have a singularity of purpose and intent and a posture in the rest of the world. All of our pursuits and desires and relationships and circumstances and dreams are submitted to this one way of thinking, this one way of being in the world. It is very simple, and it is very hard. Because this new mindset that we're to put on is contrary to our overinflated, selfish, prideful selves. That's just the way it is. That's what Christ came to save us out of and redeem us from, at least in terms of our ethical living. Uh, This way of being in the world is the mind of Christ. It's the only posture and attitude strong enough to carry the witness of the gospel because the gospel is the humble servanthood of Christ. And Paul's going to sing that song full throttle, full throated in verses 5 to 11 of our text. He's going to sing about the humble servanthood of Christ. But before he does that, he gives us two practical fruits, two outworkings of this humble servanthood. There's a way of not being it, and there is a way of being it. There's a no and there's a yes, a negative and a positive. So verse 3 says, we're to do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Nothing from rivalry or conceit. That is just as culturally shocking and relevant as it was for the church in Philippi in first century as it is for us today. Nothing. It demolishes every selfish motivation. There is no room for our pirating, self-promoting selves in the inn of Christ's church. Uh, Becca was vacuuming our house one time. wasn't the only time. And uh, she got to the corner by our front door. We share our duties. Don't worry. It's, you know, we're, we like that. Uh, anyway, uh, she was by the front door. This is our house in Pittsburgh, by the front door where our shoe bin was. And she's, she gets over by the trim. And all of a sudden, all these yellow jackets start flying into the house. And she just stood there. She let them sting her. I was reading a book. I just let them crawl on me and crawl up my nose. And we, we just lived with yellow jackets for a couple of years. Nope. 
that is not what happened. That is not what the scene looked like. Becca lost it, screaming, ran outside. I start screaming, run upstairs, put on a hat, ski goggles, a hoodie, gloves, pants, socks over my pants, grab a vacuum cleaner, another vacuum cleaner, a cock gun, and a towel, and I start sucking up yellow jackets while I'm trying to cock up the hole where they're coming into the house. They had built this huge nest. We had this uh, kind of wood-paneled old farmhouse, and they had built this nest in between the panels in the insulation layer there. And she had hit the trim just enough to give them access to the house. And it was a heyday. It was a good time. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it was very fun. Uh, But this is how we are to view our over-inflated prideful selves. It doesn't matter how talented we think we are, how shiny or witty, how much better we think we are than other people, whether that's because we're good at playing the religious game or good at deconstructing it, whether we're getting promoted or passed over. There is no room for it. It is yellow jackets in the wall of our souls. And so when those thoughts of better than or more important than fly into our hearts and our minds, we swat them out. We get them out of the house. We repent. We put them away. And so this first half of verse 3 is a mindset that we get out of our lives, like yellow jackets living in the wall of our souls. Nothing from our exaggerated self-evaluation. And the second half then of of verse 3 into verse 4 is meant to give us a positive framework for every decision then we make, every relationship we have. In humility, we count others as more significant than ourselves. We consider their interests. This is what citizenship in God's kingdom looks like because it is how the king himself is and has acted and is building his kingdom. God, through Christ, rules all things through self-giving love, expressed through humble servanthood. It is more blessed to give than to receive isn't just a giving principle, It is the fundamental fabric of reality because it's who God is in himself and who God has expressed himself to be in Christ and how God built his kingdom and what he invites us into now through the gospel. Uh, I recently watched a Netflix docudrama uh, called Quarterback, uh, which maybe some of you watched it, but it follows the 2022 NFL National Football League seasons of Kirk Cousins, Marcus Marietta, and Patrick Mahomes. It's fun. It's well made. They did a good job with it. Good job, Peyton Manning. Way to be an editor. Um, But after the first episode of of this series, I was feeling pretty judgy uh, towards Kirk Cousins, uh, who's the quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings. This is just me. It's on me. My yellow jackets, maybe. Uh, But he kind of has, he has, he's like an awkward dad. Uh, he has kind of a cring- cringiness to him in his own way. And, you know, again, this is me. This is me, especially when you compare him to Patrick Mahomes, who's like cool, smooth criminal kind of thing. Like, they are a funny pair to compare. Um, anyway, so that was the f- after the first episode. And then the second episode, they feature Kirk's game where he goes back to Washington Commanders. That's where he was traded from prior to. So it's a little bit of a homecoming for him. They win the game, that's great, and after the game, as the players and coaches do, he's walking around on the field, and Kirk runs into one of the sideline chain crew guys, and he says, 
look who it is. And they give a big hug. And as they're hugging, the chain crew guy says, I beat the cancer. And it's just a sweet, tender moment. And Kirk says, oh man, praise God, and gives them another big hug. And it was so clear that these two men, who couldn't be more different in terms of their socioeconomic and what they're doing with their lives, shared lives. They shared prayer requests. They knew what was going on with one another, at least enough to be able to celebrate together. And for the rest of that series, I didn't care what Kirk was like. I mean, I'm sorry for his 2023 injury ending season that he's had this year, but I didn't care because Kirk had shown me the king and he had shown me the kingdom that no matter what role you have, no matter your skill set or your popularity or your pay, whether you're a top-tier professional athlete that has their name on the back of jerseys or whether you're a no-name penny person on the side, your life matters. You are valuable. Your life is worth fighting for and knowing about and investing in because that is the kingdom, because that is the way the king himself has operated. That the king of glory considered our little dust on the scales, sinful, cancerous, sideline lives as valuable and significant enough to walk off the field of eternal glory and embrace us and redeem us and welcome us into the kingdom. That is what the king is like. That is how he's building his kingdom. Life in the church, in the kingdom of God, is rooted in our joy and our union with Christ. It's armed with a mind of servanthood, producing the fruit of servanthood into the world. As we say no to rivalry and conceit and our selfish ambition, and we say yes to the life of the interests of serving others. Because that's the garments of the king. That's how the king has served. So just a few closing questions for us in reflection to kind of help land it into our lives a bit. Um, How do you respond when other people criticize you? Do you thank them for the opportunity to reflect on your immaturities and prideful self? How's your marriage? Is every room in your house being shaped by the humble servanthood of Jesus? How are your friendships? Are you going into them to bless, to serve, to care? Do you have beef with somebody in this room right now that you're being stubborn about? That you need to find reconciliation with so you can serve with them and love them? Christ has served us in the perfections of his work and his person. Christ is serving us and outpouring the Holy Spirit and showing us how to put away this old life and put on this new life in the garments of the king. And Christ will Come again to serve us. In Luke's account of our Mark reading of the stay awake passage, 
what it says is that the master who finds his servants doing what he asked them to do will come, and he will dress himself for service, and he will come and serve them. The service of Jesus didn't end on the cross. It continues into the new heavens and the new earth. We will continue to be served by Christ, and it will be a joy to be served by him and to serve one another for all eternity. That's how we wait. That's what we long for in the kingdom. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, more than anything else, I pray that we would see the joy and the love in your face, in your countenance, to serve us in our sin on the cross, to redeem us, and even into putting on this new life that you've called us to live. Please come, Holy Spirit, fill us, strengthen us as we wait for you. Amen.